you would please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We are looking at verses 22 through chapter 12, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 12, 4, a section that I have called Proof of an Apostle. Proof of an Apostle. Because in case you didn't know, they're running around today. <laughs> anyway, verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. And far more labors. Far more imprisonments. Beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys. And dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such things... There is the daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the Ethriarch under Eretus, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, so escaped his hands. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. For I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Father, help us to have ears to hear. Help us in this day and age of deception and of liars. That, Father, we uh, would guard what you have given us, this precious treasure. And that, Father, we would hold it um, as, as the reflection of Christ to a lost and dying world in such a way that we would not be deceived. We would not fall to the false accusations. We would not fall to um, these people who through generations after generations have come in not sparing the flock, wanting to scatter. Father, we see the Apostle Paul had to deal with it. And so, Father, we must realize that we're not immune. And yet, Father, our flesh is weak. And Father, there are times that we can be swayed. Father, these people who are gathered today, let us not be swayed. To your glory and praise in Christ's name. Amen. I told you that last week the, at the Shepherds Conference, the uh, topic was going to be the inerrancy of Scripture. 
You know, it's amazing to me. Well, there's several things amazing to me. Uh, I've had a lot of communications with people who were there. Some, actually, a couple of the teachers. I was trying to figure out how do you get five eight-hour days and seventeen teachers to teach on the inerrancy of Scripture. I mean, two guys in two hours. Should have that pretty much nailed down. Keenan, who spoke here, he was one of the guys that was there, and he says it was masterful. And he said that, that because they had taken 70 Russians, and the Russians are having to deal with it now. Uh, basically, what took 200 years to unfold in the church in the United States, they're doing it in two decades in Russia. And, and, and one of the things that happens, and, 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 and I, I'll just briefly mention this, is that in the name of unity of the brethren, we forget about the inerrancy of Scripture. Okay, uh, I spoke in our denomination a number of years ago that there are not multiple interpretations of Scripture. There are multiple applications. I had people mad at me. Okay, of course, they were, the guy who preached in front of me was expressing how you share the gospel through ballet. And then I came and, and I'm like, I don't know how. You, anyway, uh, but I, I share that because here we are 2000 years out from the church. And this is even a topic. And yet I see the Episcopal Church is talking about ordaining homosexuals. The Methodists have been doing it, you know, and you just kind of go down the line and you you sit there because Jim Packard left the Anglican church because they even wanted to discuss it. And I was like, you don't have to be a theologian to say, hey, man, but did you know that they have come out with a gay Bible? Okay, and I don't mean a happy Bible. Okay. It basically, they take out any reference to what God calls an abomination. So 2,000 years out, here we stand. And I was crushed to find out this week on the Internet that there will be a lesbian person in the new Star Wars movie. The Force is no longer with them. (laughs) Anyway. When I look at this man, Paul, and, and I think at the time of the writing of this letter, he's in the process of bringing together what you and I have as the New Testament. And the suffering that he had to endure. I mean, when I read these things about the Apostle Paul, I literally feel useless. I mean... I know as a senior pastor in a single church for as long as I've been in the community as long as this is the only church I've ever been in. People don't understand that. Okay, I, this is the only church that I was ever a member of or ever became involved in. All right, so I've got almost thirty-five years here. All right, twenty as a senior pastor, I have had to endure some things, and 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 yet there. there It is amazing how the people of God can break your heart. Okay? I used to, before my salvation, run with a hard crowd. And they never broke my heart as much as brothers and sisters in Christ have. I think about the Apostle Paul even having to deal with the Corinthian catastrophe. 
and how his heart had to be sick that these people would listen to the error. And yet, as you understand the price of ministry, I look at the Apostle Paul and I feel useless. I mean, we, we, can you really say you've suffered for Christ? Any of us? I mean, I've had people call me names. I've had people cuss at me. I had a guy throw a book at me. He missed. He throws like a girl. But anyway, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But, but I share these things because when we think about suffering for Christ, can we really say we've suffered for Christ? Okay. Then the other side of that is, have you ever stood for Christ? Because that's where the issue comes. Okay. This man, Paul, was in the environment of hostilities. If you use Jesus' prophecy, he was surrounded by wolves. Uh, at his last hearing, he tells Timothy, no one stood with him to defend him. But God stood with him. Now you think about that, how that had to have crushed him. You, if you proclaim Christ in an unbelieving environment, you will suffer unless you compromise the message or the standard. And I am told, and I actually have heard this just this week. It's interesting, I would have thought this person had read my notes. Uh, but I don't think I had them completely written at that time. But anyway, we are in a more civil time. Okay? No, we are in a more compromising time. All right? Let, listen, just compare, okay, the message to 20 years ago. Just compare it. Go look at quote-unquote worship 20 years ago. All right? So it's, it's sort of been an accelerated thing. And yet I read here the apostle. Are they servants of Christ? I more so. Far more imprisonments. All right? And he just goes on with it. You want to know if I'm a legitimate apostle? Here. Let me take my shirt off and show you my scars. That should be proof enough. All right. I have been beaten for Christ. And, you know, and it's one of the things that I try to explain to people. False aren't going to put up with trials. They're not in it for suffering. Okay. If the false get um, any kind of pushback, their immediate response is, I must be doing something wrong. Okay? Whereas in my case, anytime I get pushed back, I know I'm on the right track. You cannot live a life confronting the kingdom of darkness and not have scars to show for it. All right? It should be looked at as a badge of authenticity. You look at the Apostle Paul, you see Paul's proof. And that's what he's doing here. He's right now, he is going to contrast what he has 
to the false. Okay? Now, listen, there's something I want to be very aware of, and I don't want you to forget, right? Because it is easy to forget in this day and age. Paul was forced into talking about himself. All right? You know what? I've been around long enough to know that some don't need to be forced to talk about themselves. They do it willingly. They do it eagerly. And yet the Apostle Paul was forced. And you know what is amazing about this? Is that he never sacrifices his humility to do it. Let me give you a quote. I I had to go dig this up. I remember reading it as I was kind of, this whole section was coming together. It's a book called Future Grace. I don't even know if it's still in publication because people didn't like what it said. (laughs) written by John Piper. Okay, and I want to give you a quote out of the book. And I want you to listen very closely to what the pastor says. All right? Because I think this is the proverbial nail on the head. Okay? Quote, Humility is not a popular human trait in this modern world. It's not touted in the talk shows or celebrated in speeches or commended in diversity seminars or listed with corporate core values. If you go to the massive self-help section of your mall bookstore, you won't find many titles celebrating humility. The basic reason... Now, listen to what he says. The basic reason for this is not hard to find. All right? Now, listen to what he says. Because, this, you know, I thought about this, and, and then when I found it again, I was like, yeah. All right? Humility can only survive in the presence of God. Right? When God goes, humility goes. In fact, you might say humility follows God like a shadow. It's an interesting insight. You ever thought about that? To go on. We can expect to find humility applauded in our society about as often as we find God applauded. In my local newspaper, this is John Piper. In my local newspaper, um, a recent editorial captured the atmosphere of our time. Now, quoting from the newspaper, quote, There are some who naturally cling to the nostalgic memory of God. The average churchgoer takes a few hours out of the week to experience the sacred. But the rest of the time, he is immersed in a society that no longer acknowledges God as omnipotent, omniscient force to be loved and worshipped. Today, we are sufficient to be our own God. We can stand on our own. 
we are prepared and ready to choose to define our own existence. Unquote. To humility. Unquote. That's an amazing insight if you think about it. Okay? That's right. That's right. I like the phrase that humility is like God's shadow. When God goes, humility goes. And humility is the only response to the understanding the presence of God. I was talking to uh, Dave and Norm. How can you look into the face of God and have pride? About anything. When God goes, man becomes his own God. I remember making a statement to a young man who has jettisoned God. And I said, well, you've got only one thing left. And he says, what's that? I said, you shall now be a liberal Democrat. He said, what? Think about what I just read. And tell me where I'm wrong. Because what happens when you get rid of God, man takes over. Okay, and man knows what he's doing. If you don't believe me, ask him. Man becomes proud and man trusts in oneself. Most, if not all, are very familiar with this. And yet the Bible calls it a sin and it is to be forsaken. But you know what I've noticed? That is the one sin that we across the board of evangelicals, tolerate easily. And yet, Scripture over and over commands us to humble ourselves, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. We are to humble ourselves in the light of God. He is worthy. You know what word that you use all the time on He is worthy? Worship. When you speak of worship, what are you saying? He is worthy. So when you hear people talking about worship, what are they saying is worthy? The musician? The songwriter? The accompaniment? Have you ever thought about it? What is a worship team? It should be a group of people that exalt, adore, and love, and worship God. Why is that so hard? Oh. Pride. Pride. Listen. Humility is the highest virtue that exists in creation. The humbler you are, the more you have bowed your knee to God. When we truly know God, we will truly love God. We will truly adore God. We will truly worship His Spirit and truth. And we will honor and seek His glory in every breath that He graces us with. And it will not happen with pride. And our commitment can only happen based on humility. 
You can only adore Him, love Him, know Him, honor Him, worship Him, seek Him in humility. So I say humility is the highest virtue. Therefore, if humility is that, then the purest and highest virtue is what? Humility. All right, that would be the highest, correct? Therefore, the worst sin would be what? Think about it. The little incident in the garden. You eat of this and you will what? You will know as God knows. What is that? Pride. And yet, if you look at the evangelical body today, what is the single thing that we tolerate the most? Not only do we tolerate it, we encourage it. And yet, I believe that it is the greatest sin in the church. I remember talking to Spiros Zodiades. We were talking about several issues that were dealing with the church. I hit it off as Spiros because he was a, he liked history. And he says his understanding of the church, never in its foundation since it came to into existence, has she been as haughty as she is right now. What causes haughtiness? So the worst sin would be the opposite of the greatest virtue. All sin is against God. Okay? All sin is turning from God. Okay? Right? Think about it. If you're coveting, what are you saying to God? You're not providing enough for me. Okay? If, if you're committing adultery, okay, outside the bonds of marriage, what are you saying to God? Your design isn't good enough. Isn't fast enough. If you're stealing, what are you saying to God? See what I mean? Anything that you classify as a sin except Baptist dancing. No. Because <laughs> God says, no, that's not a sin, but that's appalling. No. <laughs> because he can't dance. No. No, just kidding. Anything that is turning from God is sin. You look at any sin, what are we saying to God? I don't care what the sin is. Sin is turning away. What is pride? It's the ultimate idolatry. You want to see God judge? Look what he does to idolatry. Turn away from God and you will replace God with self. And now all of a sudden, you can do it. What? The framework that we are supposed to pray in, give us this day. How many do that? Or how many just go and say, hey, I work 40 hours this week. I'm getting a bagel. What'd you just say to God? But if you lose that job, you'll run to him saying, I need a job. 
You will always replace God with yourself. And I cannot really honestly think of anything that is more wicked than that. Okay? Because it is turning from God to find satisfaction in yourself. And all I can say, I can tell you that. When is your flesh satisfied? So how do you get satisfaction out of yourself? You can't. And yet, you can have the peace that surpasses understanding in Christ. And we all say, Amen, brother, preach it. Okay? And I'll deal with it in an hour. Listen, godly people, and God has brought a number into my life, are not proud. You, you almost gotta get a crowbar to get them to talk about themselves. The reason is, their satisfaction is in Christ, it's not in themselves. Okay, and, and if you wanna see the mark of true humility, Look at Paul. I don't know anybody that I've been around the mo- as, as much has any greater godliness than the Apostle Paul. Not only does he have this humility, he resisted pride. He fought against it. He wrote the letter to the Philippians, Do not look out for your own things, but the things of others. Why? Consider others more important than yourselves. Because of this, um, he had a tough time with this section of Scripture. And if you go back, you can look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, through chapter 11, verse 21. That's his disclaimer before moving into verse 22 through 12, 4. I don't want to talk about this, but I'm being forced into this because of these false apostles who think they're super apostles. So let me contrast the super apostle with lowly me. Back to our text. We've been moving through this. Are they servants of Christ? I speak of as insane. Why? They're not servants of Christ. He knew that. False apostle is not a servant of Christ. A false apostle is a servant of self. I speak of as if insane. And then he goes, takes off. I'm more so. Why? I'm more so a servant than a false anything. Then he goes on and he says, far more labors. And it really, literally means in the Greek terminology, work to the point of, sweating to the point of exhaustion. I'm more so. Imprisonments. I'm more so. Beaten times without numbers, often in the danger of death. So we started moving through this, and Paul says, I can show you the proof of my apostleship through the experience of my sufferings. And we start looking at this man's life. He starts saying, this is my life. This is my life. He was always in danger. You know, Paul, how many people would ever step into the ministry thinking that it was a high-risk job? Look what he says. Verse 26. I've been on frequent journeys. Okay, We know of three major missionary trips that he took. But we also know that there were many trips. 
Okay, where he was going into places um, that didn't really weren't encouraged to have him there. Okay, and yet he was always in danger. Always in danger. And dangers from the rivers. And I've always found that he, he, he looks at this, he says, I'm always in danger. And he starts listing through the physical and, and he says, rivers. Okay. And, and when we think about rivers, okay, now think about it for a second. How many bridges do you suppose existed in the time of the Apostle Paul? So when you came to a river, you had a uh oh moment. Uh oh. Okay, now, how was flood control done in the Middle East at the time of Paul? Well, I can tell you how it was done. When the rainy season came, you stayed home. (laughs) When the floods were all gone, you went out. All right, so he says, I'm often in dangers of rivers. Why? Because there wasn't a lot of bridges. But there was a lot of flooding. Getting across any river at the time of the writing of the New Testament was a challenge. And it didn't matter how big the river was, it's still a river. You know, I went to one portion of the Jordan River and it wasn't as wide as this building is long. But, oh, what are you going to do? I'll find a shallow spot. Well, I hope you've got some time. The shallow part on the Jordan River is north of the Sea of Galilee. Okay? So so you're going to go uh, 100 miles or so out of your way. He says, we understand that you have dangers in the rivers, but he also had dangers from robbers. Uh, I was reading a commentary on this and he called them highwaymen. I was like, wasn't that Johnny Cash and what's his name? <laughs> Just, oh, well. I was reading in Acts 13. Paul went from Pergamum to Antioch of Philistia. He had to go over the Tarsus Mountains to accomplish this. Anytime that you have to go over a mountain range, if you go look at the settling of the West, nobody went over Mount Evans. Okay. They went way north, or they went way south. Why? The mountains are shorter. Okay? I'd rather go over a ridge than a 14er. Okay? Especially if I had a wagon. (laughs) I mean, going down would be easy. But what you'll find is, is not only was the terrain awful, but history tells us this thing was infested with highwaymen. And highwaymen would take the simplest path because that's where most of the traffic would be. And they would basically rob you. Why? Take whatever they wanted to give you permission to go on. Okay? We call them toll roads. No. <laughs> okay. But, but it's, they used, that's where the robbers would be. Let me find the most traffic and I'll hang out here in that journey from Pergamum to Antioch he had to cross two mountain rivers have anybody looked at a mountain river 
Aren't they special? We used to call that whitewater rafting. Okay? I'm cruising along, wanting to cross the river, and now I'm downstream. But he had to cross two. So he had thieves, he had mountains, and two rivers. That was just Acts 13. Also, back to our text, he had dangers from his countrymen. Paul had a habit, and it was normal, because he had the attire of a rabbi, of a Pharisee. When he went into a community that had enough people to have a synagogue, the immediate place that he would go is where? And he would walk in and tell them, I know Messiah. I know Messiah. And he would make everybody in the synagogue happy. Here comes this guy, and he just makes me happy. Okay? He made them so happy that every time he went into a synagogue, they turned into a murderous anger. Now, you think about that for a second. I've had people cuss me. They probably in their heart wish I was dead. But we're in a more civilized time. I did have a guy throw a book at me. Listen. The tendency of the Jewish people has been the same to the prophets of God. Okay, a prophet, let me tell you the difference between a prophet and a priest. The priest everybody likes. You know why? He takes the people to God. Okay? They don't like prophets. You know why? They are bringing God to the people. And it usually has a conflict of personality. Anytime that you run into someone who is speaking on behalf of God, you would understand that they want to kill it so it will be quiet. In Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 21, you will find Jews plotting to kill Paul. I see a pattern. They hated his gospel and they hated the idea that Jesus of Nazareth was Messiah. You know why? What did I just read to you about John Piper? They knew, the Jews knew their Bible. And they knew there's no way I would ever kill Messiah. And yet their Bible said they would. They threw Jeremiah into a pit. History says that they sawed Isaiah in half. I see a pattern going on on receiving of prophets. We know our Bible. We would never kill Messiah. Really? What do you do with the parable of the rich vineyard owner who has the people take care of the vineyard and he sends his representatives there and they kill him one after another 
because they don't want to give over what has been given to them. And eventually the owner of the vineyard sends his son and their response to the son is what? They kill him too. We would never do that. Also, you read through this in verse 26. There was the danger of the Gentiles. Okay, now, there wasn't as many historical record of the dangers of the Gentiles. But I can tell you that in Acts 16, in a Gentile town called Philippi, they beat him and Silas and put them in stocks in the deepest part of the prison. I can also tell you that he had a powerful ministry in Ephesus, so powerful that he was putting the idol makers out of business. And the Gentile city of Ephesus rioted to kill Paul and his traveling companions. So the Gentiles wanted his life also. He says that he had dangers in the cities. So I can show you Ephesus, Jerusalem, Philippi, Iconium, Lystra, Thessalonica, Berea, and maybe Acts 18 is reference to a riot that happened in Corinth. You know what happens in cities? You can get a mob. A fan club. And you can stir them up. You don't have to tell them the truth. You just agitate everybody. And then point him in the right direction. But he also says, not only in cities, but I had dangers in the wilderness. Okay, dangers in the wilderness. I can't get a mob. It's not like I'm going to have a riot out in the middle of the woods. All right. But I do have exposure. I was in Israel in 04, uh, just outside of Jerusalem. I was just to the west of Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem proper. I got about three inches of snow. And I was sort of like... Hmm. I thought this was a desert. <laughs> kind of surprising. I had a friend who was just there three weeks ago, and they got nine inches in Jerusalem. And that was a mess. But the rioting stopped. Okay. Amazing what a little snowstorm can do to an intifada. But you get in there. The, the other thing is you don't know what the weather's going to do. You're out in the wilderness. It's not like you can go to Motel 6. All right? And they also have wonderful little animals. At that time, there was a what you would classify as a mountain lion. That was very common. If you don't believe me, go read Judges and ask yourself, what kitty was Samson playing with? Okay? And he was just a little south of Jerusalem. All right? And it's always not well-traveled. Because if you get on the travel side, you have the robbers. If I go bushwhacking, I don't have that, but I may have to play with the kitty. Okay? He also says it's a seas. Understand that this is not Acts 27. Uh, we looked at that in depth last week. That, you know, he had you had to do a lot of boat traveling. And the boat traveling that he did is not the same boat traveling that we do. Okay, there's no such thing as a rescue boat on his boat. You're hoping that that boat breaks up into pieces and you can find a big enough piece that you can float on it until somebody picks you up. 
Okay? But look what else he says. Dangers from among false brethren. Let me ask you a question. We've been through a fairly good-sized list right here. I mean, if you look at it, people not wanting to hear your message, Gentile and Jew, um, robbers, just the natural terrain, mountains, the whole nine yards. Is there anything worse than a Judas? Anything worse? I knew two great men of God, one's in glory, one's still preaching. And they will tell you about a group of them that came out of seminary that had a powerful impact in their messages. One was Stephen Olford, and one is Dr. MacArthur. And how powerful. And there was a group of them came out. They were buds in college. Powerful preachers. Okay? In Dr. MacArthur's case, there was him and three other guys. Okay? They, I remember him telling me about a time in the early 60s where they got thrown in jail, the four of them, for preaching in a black church. Okay? Powerful men of God. And they will tell you, Dr. Olford's, there was three of them because they called them the three musketeers. The two guys that he graduated with both walked away from Christ. Dr. MacArthur's three friends did too. How is that that happens? Same way that you can have the person who's in charge of the money of your ministry betray you for 20 pieces of silver? It's not a new phenomenon. How is the sickening, is it to have a co-laborer betray you? In Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Okay? And the text here is that not even Titus, who was with me, though he is a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Why? Because people will look at your freedom and think, let me put you under some kind of law, regulation, system, ceremony, ritual. What's going on today? They spy out our freedom and the false, they want a following. They want a following. And you know what? What I just dealt with early in this message about pride, that's why works is so disgusting. Why? You think you can do it. And when you do it, guess what? Look at what I did. I'm going to write a book on how to grow the church. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? That is how it works. They come in and see your freedom. And here, let me give you some things that will augment your walk in Christ. I can help you walk stronger. They ain't no pride in that, is there? 
pretending to be true Christians. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are warned of in Acts 20 when Paul says goodbye to the Ephesian elders that wolves will come in not even sparing the flock and may even come from among the elders of the church in Ephesus. If you go look at the history of Ephesus, you've seen that it came. But you also see that it was corrected. I saw this in my first few times when I went to Russia. I saw this because... In the beginning, I was dealing with men who had preached under socialism. And you could go to prison for preaching the gospel. You could go to prison for owning a Bible. Okay? And what happened is, is at their freedom, they began boldly proclaiming the gospel, but their pride stepped up because people were getting saved who had never been saved under the communist. I was saved under the communist. It was more dangerous to be a Christian when I got saved. And you're sitting there going, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of in my life. But then it became clear to them, but all of a sudden it dawned on them that under the socialist, it was safer because you knew who your enemy was immediately. When they had freedom, guess what? The enemy can come in and sit right next to you and smile and say, hallelujah, just like you. Judas showed his love and affection and yet had the heart of a traitor. Paul makes a statement of that. The dangers from the false brethren. Why? You become susceptible to them. I remember when they fill in the blank. So, you have danger from natural sources. You have danger from people. You have danger from mobs and riots. You have dangers from exposure. And you have danger from the false who are doing Satan's work in the body of Christ. Now, let me tell you something. That right there, now, do you, I want you to notice something. How many verses did I just cover? Okay. That's an interesting view of ministry in one verse. Severe danger taking a stand for the person of Jesus Christ. Even though we're in a time of tolerance. Really? Take a stand on gay marriage. Paul is contrasting and comparing a true servant of Christ to the false. Let me tell you something, people. I love you all. But every one of you need to get a grasp of this. There are people who think I run around picking fights and all I want to do is make people mad. I read this book, and I believe that this is same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you don't heed the warnings that the Apostle Paul has given us, and that Jesus has given us, and that Peter gave us, and Jude gave us, and John gave us, and Luke gave us, and Matthew gave us, you know what? You're dead meat. Dead meat. You better get a hold of this. Not everybody's talking to heaven, about heaven is going.
and they want other people to go with them. Okay, And the easiest way, brothers and sisters, the easiest way, you have two ears, one mouth. Listen twice as much and see who they talk about. Because that will tell you whether that is a humble spirit, which if it is, that is a person who knows, adores, and loves, honors, and worships Jesus Christ. If it's a boastful spirit, who do you suppose they're following? I will be as God is. That one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing life of the Apostle Paul that sets before us. Father, I think about the turmoil in this poor man's heart to even have to talk about this. And yet, Father, you honored it and you kept him humble. It may have taken a messenger from Satan, but he learned your grace. Father, I thank you that for the most part the Corinthians did turn back to the Apostle Paul, to the true and living God. And yet, Father, my heart breaks that this even had to be dealt with. And yet, Father, we have to deal with it today. Father, give us strength to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of this amazing calling. And may each person here have discernment. Father, pride is so easy to see because it is everywhere. Father, keep us humble. Keep us drawing upon the face of our Savior and Lord. And Father, may we understand that we are but clay pots with the precious treasure inside. Help us, Lord, to your glory and praise. Amen.